Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's setlist curator is Matt Bush. Matt oversees the world of Bob Weir, including managing and writing the setlists for Dead & Co., Wolf Bros., and beyond. On that note, Bobby Weir and Wolf Bros. featuring the Wolf Pack are on a big September tour. Tickets for that are available in the show notes. This week's prize pack is provided by TCO Fly Shop. TCO is the largest and most complete fly fishing outfitter on the entire East Coast. And Tony, who runs it, is a huge deadhead, so they have tons of Grateful Dead-themed apparel in addition to professional-level fly fishing equipment. Thank you, Tony, and everyone at TCO for providing the prize pack. The link to their site is in the show notes. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants, who are all on a video conference together, can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever's furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks. We're not going to do semifinals anymore, just one big finals matchup. All right, we'll meet the deadheads in a moment, but first, without further ado, The Grateful Dead. Gotta go to Tulsa First train we can ride Gotta set up one old store One small point of time guesses are in it was jack straw at the spectrum in philadelphia on september 21st 1973 love a good uh, jack straw opener matt why did you choose that one in particular um jack straw's easily one of my top favorite two or three favorite weird songs and i was born on long island new york september 22nd 1973 and so this is the closest the grateful dead came to play on the day I was born because there was no show on the 22nd. And so uh, uh, I've always, uh, it's, it's ever since I got into the dead and realized, you know, I was 14 when I first saw him and realized that, you know, there's this long history. I was like, wow, I wonder if they played the show on the day I was born. And this was the closest to it. And so it was always a show close, close to my heart for that reason. 14, your first concert was? 14 was my first concert. And the Grateful Dead were my first concert. You just kind of took yourself? No, uh, my, I guess at the time, junior high school friend, uh, Josh Berman, who I'm still in touch with and comes out to see us in Boulder every, every summer. Uh, he's the one who got me into the Grateful Dead and his parents were 
hippies and fans too and they took uh him and me and maybe his younger brother and, and a few of us to i'm not going to say which show it was because we're going to get to that in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> um so jack straw's your favorite dead song how great is it now as the setlist writer for wolf bros and dead and co uh to just dial up your favorite song whenever you uh feel like hearing it um it's one of my favorites uh favorite poppy songs i won't say necessarily favorite um it, it was when I was seeing the dead, it was my favorite, one of my favorite ways for them to open a show. Like I really love those Jack Straw Bertha openers in like 1990 and, and especially when Hornsby was in the band and would take a verse. Um, it was just, it was kind of a song we, you know, I hate to say chase it cause they was in regular rotation all the time, but it was a song we always hoped to get. Um, so it was kind of a favorite when I was going to see Grateful Dead. Cool, Matt. Great choice. Two people got it correctly. Mateo and Andy. We'll start with Andy. He is 47 from Chicago. Andy, how did you figure out that it was 1973? I basically listening to it, it had, I knew it was somewhere between 72 and 74, though a single drummer. Um, it had a bigger sound. So I was thinking Wallace Sound, 73. It's such a great song, no matter when it's played. I mean, it's changed throughout the years. And, uh, a lot of times it's early in the set list for the Grateful Dead, which is where I think, you know, you can hear pretty often, like there'll still be tweaking some of the sound. Is uh, a lot of those earlier shows had almost like live sound checks during the first song or two, which really comes through on the soundboards that we were privileged to be able to hear nowadays. But yeah, that, that screamed 73 to me, which love that year. Um, the first sets were just so like an hour and a half long, just so long and packed with songs. Great breakdown, Andy. Mateo, you're also on the next round. Did you hear something similar? Yeah, I did. I, I think you can usually tell 73 and 74 by, by the way they shine. You know, I think Andy got all the, all the elements to, to indicate those two years and between 73 and 74, I'm not so good at that, but I do love fall of 73 and it sounded like, one of those shows so i went with it awesome well todd guest 74 he is 52 from wilmington north carolina he's also on in the next round todd i'm sure you were uh, debating between 73 and 74 what pushed you up towards 74 bad information bad <laughs> uh bad maneuverings uh i wrote down 73 right away it sounded just like a kazar stadium 73 show just had the vibe it had um um all the right qualities to the vocals. And then I just hedged my bets towards 74 because I really thought I heard that funny vocal sound with the two mics, which was super common in 74. And I always, like Mateo said, 73 to 74 is really hard. A little bit of change in Garcia's tone, a little more crystal clear into 74. And I thought I might've heard that. And so I changed my mind at the last second and I clearly, uh, clearly shouldn't have. It sounded great, great song. But I love that it was the end. I love that it was the end. Yeah, Matt chose all these timestamps, of course. Um, so I, I can't take any credit. Um, <laughs> nice. Well, got uh, to make a comment. I forgot to comment in my little turn there about Billy's snare fill that he did like three or four times. That was, I, I don't know if you guys heard that before. Just right back to back. It was hot. Yeah, that was really hot. Nice observation, Mateo. Joining you in the next round is Murph. Which makes Smigo on man out. Sorry, Smigo. Uh, Murph is yeah, right. uh, <laughs> Murph uh, guest seventy two. Smigo guest seventy one. 
Uh, Murph is 47 from Columbus, Ohio. He won episode 19. And I should say Todd won episode 16 through 18. Um, and I'm another player who's had a birthday since last we talked, and I'm 53 now. That's it. Hey, all right. I'm, I'm all, 48. All we're, of, oh, my God. Yeah, we're, we're passing playing, lots of milestones here. We've been playing guest of the year for a while, Matt. We've been doing this, this nice. video chat. Yeah. <laughs> it's all one video chat. All right. Nice. Well, um, Murph, you guessed 1972. You're on to the next round. Why 72? Well, I was really struggling between 72 and 73, and I probably um, jinxed myself a little bit by studying Dead Bass before uh, before the show. And I think I remember seeing that they played it a bunch more in 72 than in 73. I think it dropped way off in 74. They may have only played it uh, a handful of times and maybe even didn't play it all in 74 which which is um, was surprising when I saw it in Dead Base. But anyway, I was thinking, well, it didn't have that Europe 72 sound, but I was just thinking something about it was kind of screaming fall of 72 for me, but obviously was off there uh, by a year. But uh, I tend to go more on kind of the ambient sound of the recording. I'm not a musician. I don't know gear like a lot of these guys do. But to me, it just kind of, um, the recording quality just was a little bit, rougher than I tend to associate with 73. So I think that's how I ended up in fall of uh, 72. Cool. Smigo, I'm sorry, man. 71. Uh, what were you thinking there was the 71? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, it, it could be. <laughs> yeah. <definitely. laughs> that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> it just hit me in a week, you know, early 70s, Jack Straw, or, you know, like, you know, I mean, aren't really my thing. Yeah. Smigo, you're a legend on the show. We appreciate you coming back for the Tournament of Champions. You're the man. No problem. Well, you guys, uh, good luck out there. Take care, Smigo. Good to uh, see you again, too. Smigo. Thanks, Smigo. Yeah, well. you too. Todd, Mateo, Andy, and Murph are on to the next round. Matt has another awesome pick for them. Let's hear it.
Okay, the guesses are in. It was a killer wharf rat at Nassau Coliseum on March 28th, 1990. Matt, what made you pick that wharf rat? Uh, wharf rat's my all-time favorite Grateful Dead song, uh, though I am not a wharf rat. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it pretty much my favorite song since before even this show. Um, and this was the first wharf rat I ever got to see the Grateful Dead do live. Um, I was junior in high school, and these three Nassau shows, I went to all three. It was the first time I'd ever gone to three concerts in a row. It was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and my SATs were on the Saturday. <laughs> so I actually had to sneak out to go to the third night of the run. But I grew up in East Meadow, New York on Long Island, less than one mile from Nassau Coliseum. So I, I didn't need them to drive me. Um, and so I was going to my friends to study, and we walked over to the Coliseum and went to the show <laughs> and came back after. <laughs> and I still got into every college I applied. <laughs> there you go. And you found gainful employment. Yeah, I did all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's he was awesome. studying in effect for his employment. And in effect, and, and, and as it worked out, uh, I, I am a law school dropout. And the night before my LSATs, the law school equivalent exam, I had gone to the Boston Garden shows in the fall of 94 and then came back to Albany where I was in college. And it seemed fitting to do both, go to Grateful Dead shows the night before the two most important tests of my educational career. <laughs> And the shows were memorably awesome. The, the Nassau shows were life-changing. I mean, that's when I knew three in a row isn't enough anymore. I was too young to get down to Greensboro, which I think followed it. But uh, I was like, oh, there's going to be a lot more of this in my future. And yeah, I think I did five that summer. Yeah, and that Branford show, though. The Branford show the next night was the night I got. That was life-changing in the way that my dad was an old jazz head. And uh, I remember playing him when I started getting the Grateful Dead. He goes, well, play me the most out there piece of music you got from them. And at the time, you know, based on my knowledge, I played him uh, some stuff from 82772, the dark star of the song, and he referred to it as tame. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I give up. Uh, but that night I got to come running in the door because he always waited up for me to make sure I got home okay and go, you'll never believe it, Branford Marsalis sat in tonight. And then I saw him perk up, the door was open, and I was able to get him into the dead over the next few years. <laughs> all, on, all on that sit in Nassau. That's awesome. Well, no one got it. The closest was Murph at 89, and he's on to the next round. Murph, why 89? Well, it had kind of that booming drum sound that I associate with 89 and 90. Um, when the song ended, there wasn't much to go on as far as keyboard hints. I was kind of listening just to find a distinct keyboard sound to see if it could skew a little bit earlier or, or later. Um, I absolutely love 8990. If you pick just you know you have you, you can pick two consecutive years to listen to. I think those are the two that I might pick even over like 72, 73, 73, 74. And I think part of it might be um Matt's only a couple years older than me. Just this sense that even though I wasn't going to shows then, I should have been. Um so in a way it feels like kind of my era of the dead. I didn't see the dead until Deer Creek 95, just the one show. Um, but I think for that reason, I just tend to skew towards those later shows. And 89-90 is, um, I think it's a real peak for them. Um, so I'm just, I'm familiar with that sound. And that drum sound in particular, just, it has that booming kind of um, arena sound. And it, it sounded very familiar to me. Nice pull, Murph. 
Todd guessed 88. He's on in the next round, as did Mateo. But Todd, what were you thinking with the 88 guess? I mean, I'm shocked, right, to hear spring of 90. That sounded so 88 to me because it was kind of out there. The jam was moving away from just sort of the central theme and and it was a little bit spacey and, and there was quite a bit of distortion. And then Bob Weir would go ka-chang in through it. It was just super active. And it, a lot of times in 88, the, like a, sim- a quote, simple thing, a beautiful thing, like an end of Warfrat jam could veer into a freaky space where it sounds like they're a little bit getting lost and then bring it back. And it felt 100% like that to me. Uh, Garcia's tone sounded really grinding and, and that would fit with any of these sort of 88, 89. Less so to me into 90. And then, uh, yeah, I just felt, uh, I felt 88 all the way. So Matt, really killer, killer pick, man. Very cool. Very cool sound all the way. Nicely said, Todd. Mateo also guessed 88. Yeah, why 88, Mateo? Um, I was listening to a song, uh, a show from 88 earlier today, and Garcia's tone was like the same. So I was feeling that. It's hard to follow up Todd with any more pieces of wisdom on, <laughs> on the sound. Um, but I, I just also want to comment that Warfrat was one of the tunes that also got me into the Grateful Dead uh, in a deeper way. So great, fantastic tune. It's nice to share that. Thank you. I loved in this era, right? I saw a ton of 87, 88, 89, 90, when it would be that vocal part at the end of Warfret. You could hear the harmonies and people were pitch quiet. That was always like just a highlight, stupendous, really feel it moment. And then they would tear your face off with the ensuing like guitar, guitar jam that came after it. I love that juxtaposition between soft harmonies and then I think really crushing sort of end of guitar and end of song solo. Love Warfret. Matt, uh, what Todd just described is exactly how I experienced that first set Warfret uh, in San Francisco for Dead & Co's final shows. Yeah, I, I, it was, um, I had to get the song in one more time. And, you know, there were three second set ballad slots, which, you know, I felt, you know, needed to go the way they went, standing on the moon, morning dew, days between. Like, I got to get a Warfret in there. And... Uh, I feel like maybe with further, or maybe even I'd done it with Dead and Company. I dropped it in like an early set two slot, like similar way, like it looks like rain might fall or he's gone. I didn't really have that slot, and and um, I've been playing with that sort of second to last song in the first set slot a lot on the summer tour. I dropped a couple of Dark Star verse ones there. Uh, I think the only Dear Prudence came there, um, and so that's when that sort of I does. Oh, I can use it, and I'll use it in that slot, the sort of wild card slot where anything can happen and, and it worked you know um sometimes risky putting big second set valves that early in the show because the, vo- the voices aren't there yet but, but i thought they thought they pulled it off really well wow i never would have even thought of to consider that people <laughs> warming up their voices for certain songs yeah no bobby's told me certain songs i can't like i can't put looks like rain second or third his voice ain't ready for for that kind of stretch out yet and, and one more saturday night he insists has to close a show or be close a set to or be an encore because he Basically, once he gets to the scream, he's going to throw his voice out. And if I drop that uh, as a set to opener, then he's kind of in trouble the rest of the set. As much as I've loved, wanted so desperately to play with one more Saturday night around, and I have a couple of times before he gave me that mandate, uh, uh, it's, it's, it'll only appear where in those slots now. You could chop it in half. You could have like the first part of the song and then, you know, slide like a, uh, you know, that's not slide something in the middle. 
bring that up someday. He's taking in notes. <laughs> um, you know, I'll take an, a good idea from anywhere. Well, I also <laughs> got to say, I, I, I commend you for, um, for letting it be known that you're the set list guy. You're opening yourself up to tons of requests on social media. Like I have to say, my daughter yeah. gave you before the Star Lake show, which <laughs> you so she, rudely ignored. I don't uh, know that I actually <laughs> saw it. It was, yeah, we were chatting. This, this was oh, not, okay. until, you know, it was maybe at my urging a little bit, but she commandeered my Instagram and she requested a, I know you ride her into China cat, which, um, you know, I, I do actually uh, remember seeing that one. I think that's uh, yeah, that's just a little too difficult. The problem I, I, I think I've explained this in other interviews. The problem with breaking up China into Ryder is any time I've done it, that big, amazing jam in the middle doesn't happen. So I, I so I get so leery because even if we hey, guys, can you do it? But still do that and find some other like the, it tends to just not happen in real time. And so I just hate to lose that moment. That's why China Ryder doesn't really get broken up much with me and for the record bob's the one who outed me as the setlist writer in his gq article <laughs> i there was never it's interesting it was never spoken like you're gonna do this but don't tell anyone that was it was never i just chose not to because i didn't you know i didn't know how it would be received um in the first year further phil lesh did an interview in a tiny delaware publication we played we were playing down at the school gym there where he said me and jill were alternating writing further set lists um and it got a little bit of traction but not much it mostly got but what i saw was most people loved the idea of jill writing them and no one knew who the hell i was and thought the idea of bob having a manager write set list they just couldn't wrap their head around and so i was like you know what i'm just we'll let that interview disappear and i'm just never going to tell anyone about it and you know but with dead and company it sort of kind of came out a lot more and then bobby did that gq article where he just outed me and that was that and then i and then i ended up having to talk to the writer for 30 minutes about it because the writer was such a big head he had all these questions he must have talked to me for an hour and it wasn't even my interview uh, just because he was curious <laughs> it's it's fascinating i get it it is uh, it is okay well andy i'm sorry i guess 87 talk to us andy why 87 uh i think the 87 was just i like the way 987 rolled on the keys there in my number pad um i was thinking it was somewhere between 97 and 90 and 89, 97, 87 and 89. I did not even think 90 um, because the sound and maybe it's uh, just the sound. I don't know in my earbuds, but um, it wasn't as crisp as the soundboards I'm used to from that tour. The first thing I thought of right away when I heard Warfrat was the last time I saw it, which again was that that show in San Francisco a few weeks ago. Um, which again, you know, thanks again, Matt. I mean, that was so magical. Uh, like a surprise first set wharf rat right as the sun is setting and which the timing was just perfect on I, the docks of the could, city, practically <laughs> exactly on the docks of the city and, you know, chills, you could just feel waves of chills and something about that wharf rat where there's, I think, uh, someone mentioned it a little bit earlier, but there's those points in the song where it settles down and you could literally feel the breeze there's almost always a breeze that comes through whether you're indoors or outdoors and it's just you feel the stillness of the air you feel the breeze uh it's like a, a breath of fresh air and then it winds back up and it, just such a perfect song andy thanks so much for uh, for coming back for the tournament of champions pleasure as always always appreciate it thank you and uh again thanks to matt and good luck to everybody else
Thanks, Andy. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Andy. See you, Andy. All right. So we have three contestants now vying for two spots in the three-song series finals, and they will be competing for the TCO Fly Shop prize pack, which uh, Tony at TCO Fly Shop hooks it up pretty hard. Um, Okay. So let's hear the next song. Black-Throated Wind at Academy of Music in New York City on March 26, 1972. Beautiful choice, Matt. A lot of amazing Black-Throated Winds in the early 70s. Why did you choose that one in particular? Um, I mostly wanted to avoid Europe 72 because I thought that would make it too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as, as a, you know, even though I lived in San Diego the last 11 years, um, I'm a New Yorker, and so I, I was always drawn to listening to the New York shows growing up anyway. And so I thought if I'm going to not do a Europe 72 Black-Throated Wind, we'll look and see what's in New York. And I remember this one. Nice choice. Matt, so I ask everyone who comes on how they got into the dead. And you kind of got into that, how you first experienced the dead. But when did it really click for you, like, turn into a real deadhead? Uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, my dad was very musical. Um, he's a musical director for school shows in, in the school he taught in 30, 40 years. Um, so, you know, we were brought up with a lot of jazz and, you know, I was always, th- though, it, you know, very young, it was a heavy metal track first. Um, I was always very obsessive about music. Like I took on the identity of, you know, like, like being a fan of the music. And, and so I discovered Grateful Dead music and basically set up for that type of fandom. It was just really easy for me to fall into. You know, I, I am a, a very big fan of the things I like, um, whether music or sports or whatever. And so, you know, with a fan base like that, that's so welcoming. I mean, I remember going away online for the first time. I tried to buy tickets for a Grateful Dead show and like everyone was just so nice. I was far and away the youngest person there, but everyone was just so nice. It was just, it was just really easy to get, um, that excited about it. But also, you know, this is pre internet. And so there was so much mystery. Like you had to chase information. You couldn't just 
pick up your phone and see a real-time set list scroll by as they're playing it, you know, on, on, a, on a social media app. That didn't exist. Like, if you didn't know people at the show, you didn't know how to get the set list. And so, in a way, that made, you know, you had to chase info. And every time you learned something, you know, it's, 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 it's like this light bulb going off, you know? Like, uh, you know, I remember the first time I think I saw Relics Magazine randomly in a music store somewhere. I'm like, there's magazines about the Grateful Dead. Like, it was so foreign to me. Like, this is now a whole another new source of info. I could learn things and, you know, so it was, it was such like a chasing knowledge type of thing. Um, cause it was just so much mystery attached to learning all that history as someone so young. So as a fan, do you still check setlist FM to check out what people are playing? Well, I check it all the time. I mean, I, I, I think about shows I've seen way back when and, and try to look up if I can find a setlist from it, you know, you know, fascinated by it in that way or, or, um, you know, um, if I'm going to see someone who's more of a, more in the you know not changing their setlist world to see what 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 they might be doing or something like that um you know not every band has a, a reddit setlist thread in real time that you can just <laughs> go, go peek into and so sometimes you're just looking to see who did what when or or you know you can go look them up there yeah shout out to knob who runs the reddit setlist thread he was on the show as well and he does a he does a great job with the dead and co ones awesome thanks matt yeah so uh Murph got it exactly, 72. He was the only one to get it exactly. Nice pull, Murph. Why 72? Well, great choice. I love that song. Really underrated song, I think. Um, to me, I think sort of the... It wasn't... I don't want to say it was a giveaway because I was really kind of torn between 72 and 73. But what had me guessing 72 was the piano sound. Um, Keith's playing sounded kind of blocky just a little bit less jazzy than he sort of morphed into in 73 and 74 so um i just kind of went with that i appreciate matt's comment about not choosing europe 72 because that would be too obvious but it, it, based on the sound of the recording i was thinking okay it's not europe 72 and so i again um i was thinking fall of 72 which you know for the for the second time in this game i'm i'm making a guess that's based on fall of 72 and, and I was wrong again in that sense, but at least I was right on the, the calendar year, uh, those Academy of music kind of warm up shows. Um, so, you know, feel, feel decent about that. You should. Yeah. It's a great poll, Murph. Uh, and you're on to the finals joining you is Todd who guessed 73 Mateo guessed 74 Todd. What were you hearing? Why 73? I thought it was 72 the whole time. Good Good Stratocaster, clean sound, but I also thought it could be 73 and honestly thought it could be 74. And I'm pretty sure they played it up into 74 before they put it away and brought it back at the Cap Center in, I think, 88. We were there for those blust outs. They did Loose Lucy at the same run. Uh, Loose Lucy and Black Throated Wind were busted out. So I knew they played it up to 74. I'm pretty sure they did. So that was playing the game. That was hedging my bet because, yeah. I just needed to play the game. I thought for sure it was 72, but I put down 73 and it worked. These picks are phenomenal, man. They are, 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 are good, good and really tricky and uh, fun to listen to. Matt, any intel on that 14 year gap? I, I thought it came back in 91. Am I wrong? Or was it 90? You could be, you could be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could I be right. I thought it was 91 when Ruben Sharice came out in that same cap theater run, right? I think it came out in 90. Cause I think that, I think there are some Brent, um, there are Brent some Brent versions. Loose Lucy's and Black Throated Ones. Okay, yeah. No, I remember the two came out together, 
And I remember it was Cap Center, but I couldn't remember if it was with, the same run as Ruben and Charisse, which I know is 91 because got the next one at Nassau. I um, think it was earlier, but you're right. I think it was not yeah, the, what yeah, I It was either 90 or 91, but then, yeah, it was 74. I, I The gap, again, is tied to – it's funny because when I heard Bobby say that the first time, I brought up a song, and uh, the gap occurred because he wanted to rewrite the lyrics. And, you know, when I first got into Setless World with him, the, one of the first songs I chased getting him to do again was My Brother Esau. Um, and it took, it, I couldn't do it. I, I actually didn't because he said, I want to rewrite it. I need to rewrite, I need to work, change the lyrics. I need to work with Barlow on it. And so I actually failed. It was the guys in the National that got him to do it when they came in for that headcount benefit at TRI. And we did the bridge session thing. And he said, I want to know what they want to, as he often does with guests who sit in or, he collaborates with you know well i got a million songs what of my songs do they want to do whatever they're excited for you know i know them all and you know something like that will be his uh line of thinking and so they really wanted to do esau and uh they got him to do it and uh he only changed one lyric he changed uh my brother said killed the hunter back in 1969 to into the year 2009 and that's it that's the only lyric change he made after all those years and I love this. Yeah, we, yeah, we've kept it around with Wolf Rose too, so it it's lasted. And then Black Throated Wood came out with changed lyrics in '90, but then eventually he dropped those and started doing the original ones, if I remember correctly. Good on the National, pushing for that. That's really cool of them. Yeah, yeah, they came yeah, with I, great I, ideas. Great ideas. It's cool. And I absolutely was, love their uh, their indie rock, like whatever it is, three or four. Uh, disc, yeah, like the four disc indie box rock set tribute is phenomenal. So awesome. And, and I mean, yeah, they. they uh, you know, Josh Kaufman was, ended up producing Bobby's Blue Mountain, and then some of those guys were in the Campfire Band, Aaron Desner and the Devendorfs. Um, and it's it's been a you know we're still we still talk to those guys and see those guys all the time. Their Peggy O is amazing. Yeah, their Peggy O is beautiful. Well, Mateo, it is probably almost three thirty, three forty five in in Madrid, something like that. Oh wow, it's three forty five in Madrid. Yes, it is the way it should be. You know. <laughs> Todd, can, Todd and Murph, these legends are are meant to go on. Well, so. you know, you gave them a real run for your money. You were uh, on a heater today, and we appreciate you waking up at uh, 2 a.m. to come on Guest of the Year. Damn, it's dinner time out here, Mateo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, beer, it's beer 30 here still, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was great, uh, you know, being here with you guys. Of course, I would wake up, if you asked me to do, ever do it again, Mike, I would wake up again. Wake up at five in the morning. Doesn't matter. It's fun. It's fun uh, breaking dead, so to speak. How's that for a, how's that for a pun? There's with a pun you guys. There you go. Very good. Um, Very good, Mateo. But yeah, anything, any uh, insight you want to give into the '74 guest before you go? Well, man. So I, I immediately thought between '72 and '74 because I, I listened to the drummer Phil was heavy in that mix there. So I was kind of trying to listen around him. Um, but then I was like, 72, no, it's 73. Wait, it can't be 73. He already did a 73. So I bumped it to 74 and lost, but that's the way it is. You're still a champion, Mateo. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> Fun playing with you. Y'all take care. I might stick yeah, around for a little bit. Hell yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Man, we'll you're, see. You're, if, you're, I, uh... if, I, if I fade out without saying anything, just let me sleep, all right? <laughs> we'll keep our voices down. So... Um, Todd and Murph are on to the three-song finals. The idea is to be the least number of years off in total for the three songs. Obviously, if they're tied, we'll have overtime. Let's hear Matt's next pick. 
Dark Star Jam at the Omni in Atlanta on March 30th, 1994. Excellent pick, Matt. Maybe the most original guest of the year song pick we've had, I don't know, maybe ever. Why that Dark Star? Uh, that was the last Grateful Dead Dark Star. Um, and I was there. Uh, it was the first I ever traveled for the Grateful Dead. Um, and it was the most shows in a single tour I'd ever seen because they had done the five Nassau shows right before Atlanta. And then um, the Saturday, Sunday Nassau shows was the start of a week-long spring break from college. And so me and some friends were like, well, let's go spend spring break in Atlanta. We'll go see the Grateful Dead three nights in a row. We drove down with no tickets, no hotel room, no nothing. And got in every single night. And um, it was actually for 94. I thought it was a really great run. And then, you know, we didn't know at the time we were seeing the last Dark Star, but then that turned out to be the last one they did. Lovely. And I love the jam only. Yeah, I felt like if I had a vocal in there, it might give away the year a little too much. Well, yeah, these guys, even with just the jam, they were not far off. Well, Murph got it exactly, 94. Todd guessed 93, one year off. Murph, did you recognize that as the last Dark Star? I didn't recognize it specifically, but I recognized the 94 guitar tone. I don't, if somebody can explain to me why his guitar sounded so distinctive in 94, I'd, I'd love to hear it. But it has, it's very, has kind of a really pinched sound. Um, it just doesn't have that same sort of full beefy sound. I'm not saying it's, it's bad, but it just is a very distinctive sound. And I think the other thing that maybe was happening in 94 and in 95, I think maybe Bobby was changing his guitar tone and, and maybe playing in a way that was a little more muscular to try and maybe buoy the band in a way, uh, because, you know, I, I think Garcia's tone was a little bit, uh, you know, thinner and, and his playing maybe wasn't quite as inspired as it was in earlier years. So to me, the, that combo makes for a pretty distinctive sound. Uh, I've listened to probably a lot more 94 or 95 shows than the average Deadhead. Just, you know, as I said earlier, I, I like listening to that stuff that, um, was kind of from my formative years. That sounded really wild. I know I've heard that show before, but um, it kind of sounded new to me, so I got to go check that out. That sounded pretty cool, and thank you, Matt, for bringing that to us. Um, Todd guessed 93. Uh, where were you hearing there, Todd? So I definitely knew. there. It was Vince, and I didn't hear any Bruce. Uh, and I knew that there were some good shows in 93 and some good shows in 94. And this sounded pretty good. Everything sounded solid and played well and all that. I, I don't know those later years particularly well at all. And Murph's right. The guitar, Jerry's guitar sound changed dramatically in 93 and then into 94. And I thought I heard that. And what it is, is that he completely gives up his, uh, you know, from from the late 70s all the way into 93 the fender uh twin reverb front end and then the macintosh power amp it changes all of that into rack mounted effects and they lose the stage monitors they go directly in air so it's a huge equipment change rig change for garcia and it's a very um yeah open plucky almost acoustic sound a lot of people think it sounds like an amplified acoustic like a piezo micro a uh, 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 pickup on an amplified acoustic but I didn't hear that too much. There was some weird, like maybe a whammy pedal or somebody was doing something crazy with a slide in there that sounded really neat. So a bit of a stab for me. I'm happy that I was only one off. It could have been 95 for all I knew. I didn't know that Dark Star ended at this point. 
So I'm psyched that was one off, guys. I'm psyched. Yeah, tightly contested. Murph has zero points. Todd has one point, which means Murph is up by one point. And Matt has another song. Let's hear it. The wall collapsed on Wednesday. We chopped it up to play. All his children ran in here. They never did so well before. So they'd never show the face again. Those that came in Friday, the fires tall and bright. The Mason's children could the stew and clean up where the feast was So the guesses are in. Mason's Children at Fillmore East, New York City, February 14th, 1970. Matt, excellent choice. Why this Mason's Children? Why 1970? Uh, 214.70 was one of the sort of those, you know, when you're first getting into the dead, it becomes one of those first really high quality tapes you get. And so I definitely played that whole thing to death. And Mason's Children being one of the more rare songs out of there was just a Song I really came to love in the further years. We did a lot. Uh, actually, no, I should I should back up a little bit. The Phil and Friends Q years when I was working with Warren Haynes. Um, I mean, I knew the song, but the song kind of became a monster with that band. Um, and I became really into it. And I used to use it a lot in further set lists. And, um, you know, if I felt like if I was going to use... I didn't want to do 69. I felt like that might be too obvious with this song. And uh, I also thought using a more obscure song off the two fourteen seventy just might you know, fit better in, in this contest. And it sounded amazing. It, it's a smoking hot version. It really is. Well, uh, it was a great choice. And these guys were hot on your trail. They both guessed 1970. So I thought uh, this might be the easiest one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. It doesn't, I didn't, you know. So Todd, start with you. Uh, how'd you diagnose that 1970? I mean, I, I definitely had two 1470 couple of cassettes and spun them nonstop in my car. You know, your car had a cassette thing that would automatically flip, right? And you could just listen to it for months on end. So it just had that 70 really loose sound, almost sounded like they'd been playing lots of acoustic. They just had a, open, a more open sound to them playing off of each other. I didn't know it was 21470, but like the other one and the Dark Star from those shows are just unbelievable. That's what that's what I would play over and over and over again. Murph, 
you you punched in your 1970 fairly quickly. Did you recognize the show? Didn't recognize the show, but I it's a song that I just I associate with 70. In fact, I started to get into my head a little bit and I couldn't remember if it debuted in 70 or if, if it debuted earlier. I was thinking, you know, should I guess 69 because to me there was there was something about that it it had kind of that primal sound that I thought, well, if it if it skews one year away from 70, it would be probably 69 but um i just i um i associate that song pretty much exclusively with 70 so it was pretty quick guess for me even if i wasn't you know 100 percent on it awesome and matt you mentioned that song being played with the queue what was your role at that time with the queue so i was uh, warren haynes's tour manager i started working with warren in 98 and i started tour managing him 2000 late night you know, on and off late 99 2000 i was more in merchandise to start uh but he got called to do his first fill in friends in 99 um and so by the q years which were late 2000 uh, i was pretty much traveling with warren whatever band it was allman brothers q mule and so uh i was on a lot of those tours and you know when it sort of started the path that led me to bobby um phil's crew was robbie taylor grateful dead production manager and um, you know, so as I start to know them, eventually I sort of shifted over to the dead in 03 and 04, left Warren and, and then Bobby poached me in 05. That's cool. You're everywhere. The Forrest Gump of the, um, po- the post dead dead. Yeah. I mean, about, it's kept me, you know, I've been, whether it was Warren or whatever, I've, I've been in and around every post Garcia dead project, I guess since like 99 or most of them, I guess, you know, they weren't always in the same camp, but, uh. So, you know, I was seeing it as a fan through 98 and the other ones. And then next thing I know, I'm working with it. And so I actually do feel like I have a lot of the post Garcia knowledge um, as much as, as anyone in, the, you know, either working for us or in the scene in general. I've been around for so much of it. Awesome. Well, um, same score. Murph has zero points. Todd has one point, which means Murph's up by one point. And last song, Todd needs to, f- needs to, Nail it and hope Merce one year off to force a uh, overtime. Let's hear the next song. Not my most graceful of uh, segues there. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and brother's time to come, for it surely looks like rain. Same old thing now, day after day. Here it come again. Here come the rain. Green, it looks like rain. Here it come again. Here come the rain. Here come the rain. Take me. 
are in looks like rain at the meadowlands in new jersey on october 12th 1989 another east coast show matt why that looks like rain um looks like rain rounds out my three favorite bobby songs with black throated wind and jack straw um so i knew i wanted to get that one in i wanted to get 1989 in there this is also one of my favorite years um also to me 89 90 i could listen to forever I wanted to avoid summer 89 because I feel like that was, you know, that would almost maybe make it too easy. Those recordings are, are too widespread. And, um, you know, remembering back to this five show run at the Meadowlands, they had just done the two Hamptons Warlock shows where they brought out, you know, Addicts and Darkstar and Bid You Goodnight, you know, all that helped slip Franklin's. Um, it hadn't been done in forever. And then they went to the Meadowlands and, and there was a sort of vibe where it felt like everyone was just waiting for them to do those songs again or for the next big bust out moment. And so I think these first few nights, you know, 1016, obviously they, you know, became an epic all time show, but because of that in Hampton, I feel like these first few nights go way under the radar more than they should. And they're actually really strong shows um, that just don't get enough, you know, they just don't get enough play because of how strong both summer 89 was. And with all the recordings that came out of that, all the you know, DVDs really outfine, uh, Philly, you know, JFK. Um, it just kind of felt like these first few Meadowlands shows are really good. And I feel like hold up and just, just kind of don't get the respect they deserve. So I wanted to pull one from, from those. Just to torture Murph and Todd for one more moment, Matt, how do you listen to the dead vinyls, archives, serious grateful dead. Now I tend to listen based on, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough where I get sent to all the Rhino releases. And so I listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. Pretty much all my Grateful Dead listening is either vinyl uh, here in my home office or CD in my car. Um, and I listen to everything they send me at least once. Um, so it takes some time. Um, but, uh, you know, I get through the vinyl a little faster than the, the CDs because I'm, I'm not always in the car a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm just now finishing... Uh, 72 Dave's picks and I got 61073 <laughs> next to me next to go in the car and it's that's you know vinyl and CDs are probably my grateful dead listening um and then it's again usually just in the order of how I get it from Rhino so you let Dave curate your listening I said in a way Dave's curating my <laughs> my grateful dead playlist uh though I don't though, though you know I, I get you know I get the Garcia stuff too on vinyl and so that gets it gets to the mix too um and uh but yeah as far as grateful dead uh yeah I guess I'm I'm uh, Dave's picks curious my <laughs> listening. Thanks, Lemieux. <laughs> <laughs> um, Murph and Todd both guessed 88. So Murph wins by two to one. Way to go, Murph. Very well done. You were kind of on the entire game. Yeah, uh, spot on. Yeah. You almost made it to the 88 song. That was uh, coming up next was, uh, or one of the next ones was going to be Morning Dew 9, 14, 88. <laughs> Yeah, my, for my, first, yeah I my to, first show. I'll have to uh, I'll have to celebrate by um, by queuing that up. I'm, I'm even yeah, writing so that down. Nine fourteen eighty eight was my first show. Uh, nice first night of nine at the garden, and they closed at morning due that night. Wish we could have gotten it, but Murph, congratulations. So eighty eight, why eighty eight? Only one year off. Well, I I want to start by saying I I 
kind of dialed in with Matt's favorite Bobby songs being Jack Straw, Black Throated Wind and Looks Like Rain. Those are like um, just absolute, you know, stellar tunes and, and probably my favorites as well. And I, I do at some point want to hear why we didn't get more Looks Like Rain from Dead & Co. But that's a whole nother topic. Oh, but maybe Matt yep. has some other interview. But the... <laughs> yeah, I, I kept like waiting, you know, this is going to be the tour of Looks we Like Rain. We only did like, one, right? We get... only got one. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah, I mean, they were always good. They come they out more on the but... Wolf Bros. They come out more on the Wolf Bros. All right, well, I'll be, uh, hopefully we'll <laughs> get one in Columbus here in uh, in a couple months. Um, well, I I was thinking 88 or 89. Again, I'm going back to that booming drum sound was kind of pushing me towards 89, but I kept waiting for kind of the MIDI effect to get dialed in, and I never heard the MIDI. I don't know if they, they started leaning heavy into the MIDI in 80, 89 or 90, but... I, you know, it was kind of a toss up for me between 88 and 89 and the lack of any of those MIDI effects had me guessing 88, but it sounded great. Todd also heard 88. Talk to us, Todd. Yeah, everything that Murph said and Murph, by the way, congrats. Well played. It's fun to play against you again, my friend, and be uh, beaten again by you. Always Uh, fun to play. An honor to be beaten by you, my man. Um I didn't hear like 89 crispness. Uh, Bobby's guitar was kind of buried. It wasn't real chimey. And it just had a bit of a flat sound. Like Murph said earlier, I listen a lot to just the general quality of the sound that I'm hearing overall, in addition to little picky little things. And it just sounded a little bit, it sounded a lot like, uh, like uh, 88 to me um, in, a few different, in a few different sort of audio ways uh, that was coming through. Um, in 89, a lot of Bob's guitar tone is very chimey. It's got a little chorus on it. It's nice and present. And this seemed a little bit buried. Um, and yeah, no MIDI. Yeah, yeah. Not hitting like a flute thing there at the end with the pull-offs and the trills at the end. So yeah, go down by, I think I went down by one point in this at the end. So uh, I look forward to seeing Murph uh, uh, crank it up in the rest of the Tournament of Champions. Todd, a pleasure having you on as always. Always, always super fun. It's such a, such a treat to do this. And Matt, it's a pleasure to, to meet you and get to chat with you and everybody that was on tonight. Uh, and Murph, right on. Always good, to, always good to go up against you for sure. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for uh, coming on and curating an absolutely killer set list. It was like no other set list we've had before in the best way possible. <laughs> That's uh, how I like you. to write them. <laughs> yeah, that was great. When I can Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. And congrats again, Murph, Todd. Amazing run. Thanks so much for coming on to uh, Andy, Smigo, and Mateo. Thank you so much for listening. For all the show links, including our new YouTube channel, go to guestthear.net. And if you want to be contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at guestthear.net. Thank you again to Tony and everyone at TCO Fly Shop. You can check out their link in the bio. TCO is the best. I do not fly fish, but I wear TCO stuff constantly. Um, so congrats to Murph on getting that prize pack from TCO. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the posters. And thank you so much for listening again. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congrats to Murph for moving on to the finals. And to our other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bid you good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, good night, good night.